Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So guys, thank you so much for all of the listens, all the downloads, all the comments and all the support over lockdown. So hopefully we're towards the end. And I'm really, really excited for today's guest. This man has blown up during lockdown, uh, Owen Costello. Um, so at Insulaown on Instagram, he is a type one diabetic PT and coach. He is the host of the Insulone podcast, uh, Re- Redefining Diabetes. He's a PT online coach, illustrator, and he has been diagnosed with diabetes since 2012. And I think one of the things that I love about Owen's story is that he doesn't let I- diabetes define him, but it should never stop you from reaching your full potential. And it's really, really important that you kind of turn things from a potential negative into a positive. So Owen, thank you so much for coming on today. Shane, thanks a million. Appreciate it. Delighted to be here. That was a, a good intro to hear, so I appreciate that one. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, so, Owen, I am going to let you talk about yourself and tell people <laughs> your your story, um, how the diagnosis came about, and how you coped mentally. So I'm going to let you talk away. Absolutely. So, like you said, I am a type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed back in... 2012 just after Christmas and I suppose I was I was always somebody who was into fitness into sport I was always kind of managing my health always kind of looking at what I ate I was always just a healthy person so I suppose when this whole thing came about it was it was a massive shock to say the least but it was around as I said around Christmas time I I kind of started noticing certain signs and symptoms but didn't really think anything of it because I was this kind of carefree 19 year old I was on my Christmas holidays the only thing I was worrying about really was you know the time I had left until I went back to school or college or whatever it was so I started seeing the signs and symptoms of I was thirsty all the time I remember I'd be downing pint after pint after water of water couldn't quench this thirst I had lost about a stone and a half in the space of a month. Now, that's a lot of weight to lose so rapidly, but because you see yourself every day, I maybe didn't notice it as much. So I remember I was falling asleep anytime I sat down. I had no energy anytime I was trying to play sport or anything. You know, I'd just be constantly fatigued. And uh, yeah, it was it was as if I was just kind of slowly deteriorating. But again was almost completely unaware as what to what these symptoms could be so it was actually christmas day i went to mass as i as i do every year and it was a friend who i hadn't seen in a while and she came up to me and she said hello and i said hello asked her how she was and she said you look really different and i was kind of like how do, how do you mean and she goes i don't know you just look different and looking back on it now, it's because I had lost so much weight. But as I said, I didn't necessarily even realize this. So kind of went went about my business for the next week or two. And then I guess my parents were the ones who were kind of silently concerned. So they suggested that I go down to a GP. They made it urgent in a way, but... I suppose it was urgently advised without making me feel worried or concerned. So 
I was thinking, no, I'm 19, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm going out with my friends, I'm going to bars, whatever it is. Like, I'm invincible. I had, you know, you have that sort of mentality when you're a teenager. So I was going down to the GP, I suppose, thinking, you know, I'm only going down to keep my parents happy to prove that everything's fine. So I went down, got a blood test, and I suppose it was a couple, a couple of days later, I was in bed and I'd been out the night before, so my head was a bit sore. And the phone started ringing and answered it. And it was my doctor on the phone. And I said, how's it going? And he said, blood test came back. You're type 1 diabetic. You need to go to the hospital now. And that was very urgent. So I kind of said, thanks, thanks a million. And then hung up. And I didn't really even... I, I couldn't even it, like I wasn't even thinking really it was almost like I, I was never even on the phone with him it was almost like it didn't even happen but obviously it did so I went into my parents room and I said my doctor was just on the phone he said I am a diabetic and I need to go to the hospital now <clears throat> and they were like what now they had an inkling that I had something wrong with me anyway but they obviously didn't tell me. So we rushed into the hospital. They checked my blood sugar again. It, my blood sugar was 38 when I went into the hospital. Now, to put that into perspective, if I was to check your blood sugar, Shane, it would be between four and eight. So mine was five, six, seven times higher than it should be. And they said I was 48 hours, less than 48 hours away from a coma. So got it just in time we got into hospital just in time and i was on a drip in a hospital bed within half an hour i was there for from friday to tuesday and i suppose that whole that whole stay in the hospital kind of was just a time for me to be be educated to an extent about kind of what life would now entail and how my life would change and how it has changed so when you say how I dealt with it mentally, I suppose because it was, it, I kind of, it was surreal at the start, you know, because I had this, this Ill, ill-informed opinion as most people do of diabetes, that diabetics are overweight, they're unhealthy, they don't look after themselves. So I would never even have dreamt of associating the word diabetes with myself. So when I was now in a hospital bed, less than 48 hours away from a coma, told I am now diabetic, I have to inject myself multiple times a day, I need to constantly monitor my blood sugar. It was, uh, it was, it was strange, but I kind, of, I kind of took it in my stride. I, I, was, I think I'm the only one out of my family who didn't cry when I was diagnosed. Now that's not like me trying to be macho or anything, but I just kind of I kind of just took it on the chain straight away, and I knew that from like the, the brief education I got from the hospital, which was good, but obviously you learn more as the years go on. From that, I knew that okay, I'm gonna survive. It's something I can and will learn to live with. I am now completely responsible for my own health and 
I suppose because I knew that I was capable of kind of taking on that new responsibility for my own health, it was easier for me to take on the chin. Do you think it was youth that was on your side in relation to dealing with it? Because I know when I had my illness, I was 29 when mine happened and it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I was, may not have been able to process it as well. When you're a bit younger, you're kind of like a little bit more fearless, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, I think, and like we had been chatting briefly before we pressed record, I suppose I, I was at an advantage being the age that I was because I was 19 and, you know, I had matured to to an extent. So I was able to realize the severity of it and know that, look, this isn't something I, I, I can take lightly, but it's something that does need to be treated with respect and treated with its deserved severity. Otherwise, you're going to have a very, very, very bad time. And that is even up to this day and this exact moment. If I don't manage my diabetes how how we're supposed to, if I don't respect my diabetes, you know, my health could could flick like a switch. And how do you manage it on a daily basis with your food and your training? So I suppose over the years and I was at an advantage because I was already into into, you know, looking after the food I eat, keeping myself healthy, exercising very regularly. So that was kind of already on my side. So I didn't need to make those sort of lifestyle changes. They were already habitual to me, which was a great thing. And for diabetes, you learn over the years that eating proper food, exercising regularly are both just an irreplaceable tool to your overall diabetes management. So yeah, it's 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 certainly a different way of living, particularly with your food. So when I eat food, I if I see a plate of food in front of me, there might be, you know, potatoes, chicken, vegetables, whatever it is. I see that food as carbs, proteins, fats. And I now automatically calculate just over the years because I've learned to do it, I, I will have to calculate how many grams of carbohydrate are, specifically carbohydrate, are in this meal because I have to take and inject the adequate amount of insulin to counteract that carbohydrate. So if I get that wrong, my blood sugar is either going to go too high or go too low. Both are, are not a pleasant feeling and are potentially very dangerous. So it's changed in that way where I have to carb count. I have to know exactly what I'm eating, what's in my food, why it's in my food. So I can basically calculate the exact, exact amount of insulin. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been a lifestyle change. And then in, in terms of training, I used to go to the gym and you go in and all you work about it, all you, you worry about is, you know, what am I going to do? What exercise am I doing? What type of training am I doing? How many sets am I doing? What sort of weight am I going to, going to be lifting? Whatever it is. But now it's, I need to anticipate what I'm going to be doing. I need to look ahead and plan how my blood sugar may react to certain exercises because resistance training can have a different effect to cardio. So more 
often than not, cardio will cause my blood sugar to drop and resistance training will cause my blood sugar to spike. So I can't really just go into the gym and be like, ah, let's just go over and do this and kind of like plan as I go. I need to know what my blood sugar is going into the gym. I need to know what I'm doing and how that may affect my blood sugar. I need to know what my blood sugar is mid-session and then obviously after it and then the next few hours after. So it's it's changed in the way that I need to constantly plan and I need to constantly be aware of what my blood sugar level is at because as I said, if it goes too low or too high, potentially it can be very, very, very dangerous. Even right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking to you, Shane, I'm, I'm taking a look at my phone because I, I have a continuous glucose monitor on my stomach that's connected to my phone. So that will constantly monitor my blood sugar. So even as I'm speaking to you now, I'm like, hmm, what's my blood sugar at? Am I going high or am I kind of going low? <laughs> you know, so it's, you just need to constantly be aware of your environment, what you're going to be doing, how food can affect you. You just need, it's kind of just like you, you have to be clued in all the time. It's like you're living your life on a balancing board and you just need to keep it steady. And then obviously, well, pre-lockdown anyway, with nights out and stuff, how does it work around the likes of alcohol? Because I'm sure the alcohol pops and bombers wouldn't be your best friend. <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. It's, uh, again, it's, I suppose, and I've said many times on, on my podcast when I talk about diabetes, it's like when you live with, with diabetes, you need to live consciously. And what I mean by that is you need to always be aware of how can this affect my blood sugar? How, how will my blood sugar be when I go for a run? How will my blood sugar be on a night out? So, yeah, of course, it's very, very, very complicated. <laughs> Even going out for a few drinks, it can be very complicated because alcohol can have various effects on your blood sugar. So I suppose my routine would, would depend a lot on what I'm doing for the night, you know, how long my night's going to be, how many drinks I might be having. So if I'm to just have like two or three drinks, I would expect my blood sugar to spike. Whereas if I know I'm going out for, for a long night and I'm going to be drinking a lot, that, that excessive amount of alcohol, now I don't drink loads anyway, but the more alcohol you drink, it's almost as if the chances of your blood sugar dropping heighten. So, Again, you can manipulate your insulin doses, your food, to counteract how you feel your blood sugar is going to react to alcohol. That's but it's, it's, it's a, no, it's a, yeah, because I, I think in, if you weren't in kind of nutrition, you'd probably think it was the other way around, in that it would heighten it rather than lower it. Because I know you, we, we were talking about stigmas and stuff like that off air you'd probably think the opposite for most things that is applicable to a diabetic. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, like, it, it, I, like obviously we've, got, we've so much to talk uh, about and stuff like that. The exercise thing is the bit that's kind of like baffled me in that mm. never think about it, like whether it be a hit style or resistance training or a cardio session or having to monitor it in the middle of sessions. Like 
exercising is challenging enough when you're doing it right <laughs> having to worry about especially on leg day oh uh, stop <laughs> without having to look at a monitor in order to see if you're okay yeah and I think if if you're not aware of that it can definitely make things a lot more complicated you know and a big part of that is when you're diagnosed with diabetes yes of course you get education from you know nurses and doctors and stuff and that's great and but I feel that you get kind of like a flat line amount of information. You you will only be told so much, you know. And living with type one diabetes, it's it is your responsibility because I'm a type one diabetic. There could be a diabetic five minutes down the road who, yes, has the same condition as me, but because my body is different to theirs. You know, their insulin sensitivity will be different. Their insulin resistance will be different. They may sleep more than me. They may, their body may potentially regulate blood sugar better than mine would. So all type one diabetics are the same, but at the same time, we're all different. So it's, it's really up to you to, to learn about your own body, to learn about your own diabetes and to, to keep track and monitor how going back to exercise how your body is going to react to exercise because mine may react differently to a diabetic down the road so it's important that you have that word again awareness of how you are going to react to your environment your activity your food because everything and i mean everything is going to influence your blood sugar so you, you need to be you need to be aware of aware of these things it's it's mad like but i think that there's a few like incredible quotes one from your dad which we'll talk about in a sec but one of the things you've spoken about openly is that if you had the opportunity to take back getting diabetes you wouldn't take it like it's an incredibly bold statement to make and to kind of live by was it hard for you to get to that point and what and how did you get to that point yeah, I think if if you were to say that to another diabetic, they'd probably slap you in the face and tell, <laughs> tell you you're mad, you know. But for me, yeah, it's something that I definitely stand by. And if if it wasn't for diabetes, I, I don't really know what I'd be doing. I know I'd be more than likely involved in sport and fitness in some way anyway, but being diagnosed with diabetes really has kind of led me to what I'm doing now you know and I work with loads of type 1 diabetics and the feedback you get from them is amazing to hear you know there's an amazing diabetic community that I'm involved with some friends that are our friends I talk to every day and like the podcast that I'm doing none of this would have happened if it wasn't for diabetes and I think aside from like what I'm doing for work and stuff even even just in my own head being diagnosed with this really toughens you up you know really 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 makes you resilient really appreciate it, it makes you appreciate your health more because I was this careless 19 year old and then boom type 1 diabetes and I then realized how fragile your health is and it's still fragile for me now. <clears throat> excuse me. 
as I said, I do that yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> My voice breaking. So even every day, I know it's fragile because one unit too much or too less of insulin, it, it can it can be a very very bad experience, you know. I think you've alluded to it there, and like obviously we are in a weird time at the minute. Like we've all had to adapt. But your dad's quote, when I when I read it or when I saw it, I was like, "Fuck!" I was like, "That's a deep quote," and I was like, "You, you adapt or you die." And I was like, "Your dad has a point there." Um, so I'm gonna let you expand a little bit more. Yeah. Now, when when he says die, he doesn't mean literally die. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah. Look, that that quote of adapt or die it was was something that was ingrained in me I suppose from a young age along with my brothers that no matter like no matter who you are where you live what you do there are going to be very very like there are going to be bad things that happen to your life it's, it's inevitable there's nothing you can do about it there are things you can control and there are things you can control and I suppose I was lucky to have that kind of bet into me from a young age again not physically but and to realise that no matter what happens to you or what you go through you either adapt or you die and having the ability to adapt to whatever curveball is thrown at you is just a massive massive advantage in your life no matter what you're doing and to live by that quote when everything's going well is easy you know everything can be sailing away very well in your life and things can be great and it's easy to say oh yeah adapt or die adapt or die that's cool whatever it is but but when things get tough you really test whether or not you live by it and I think that was when I was diagnosed with diabetes for me it's easy to say adapt or die when everything's great but when I'm less than 48 hours away from a coma lying in a hospital bed now realising that my life has changed for the rest of my life. My life will never be the same as it was. Then you, then you can kind of dig deep and and really believe or, or really see if you can adapt or die. Yeah, I think like my clients will give out to me for this because I'm sure they're fed up with me. So I'm like a parrot with this sentence. I think it's it's important to like challenge your beliefs and to see what's actually a fact or an opinion. So if you're tired or you've had a bad day at work or you've had a fight or something like that, is that opinion about what you're looking at in the mirror or that opinion that you're having about yourself at that moment in time, is that a fact or is that an opinion that you've created because of your mood? And I'm a huge advocate of kind of journaling in regards to that stuff and not necessarily going down the medication route to help with mental health. I've been put on the medication I couldn't string a sentence together. I sounded drunk. If I was driving, I wouldn't know how I got there. If I crashed into the wall, I wouldn't know where the wall was. Like I was properly fucked up from those meds. And that's why I'm such an advocate of, like we were talking about coaching styles or fair and stuff. And like the factor opinion thing definitely has to come up because the one sentence that sticks into my head is, am I playing a victim mentality? Am I feeling sorry for myself? Am I having the smallest violin in the world? And that, that snapped me out of mine. Um, my little funk when I got sick in 2017. So I had two blood clots in my left arm. 
No idea what happened. Literally woke up with my left arm completely swollen. A fluid in the elbow hanging down. There was a blood clot up here and there was a blood clot at the top of the forearm. And literally had no idea. I was in hospital. Had to get this, the, the vents opened up. And then two weeks later, I went back into work and collapsed up my desk with fluid in my lungs. And I was just like, fuck this. So that was my body's way of telling me to adapt. That was my body's way of saying, something's happening for a reason here. You can either let this shit take control of you, which I did probably for about six months, or I can stop having this pity party and go and change. Change career, shave the head, went traveling, found myself, and I wouldn't be doing this. So like, like you, that's why I relate to your story so much is that you have taken a massive challenge in your life but turned it into a positive and allowed yourself to help other people in relation to the diabetes and also the mindset stuff side of stuff so i think it's incredible like my voice is going now as well <laughs> this is not boding well two, two people with podcasts and we have our voice breaking <laughs> yeah it's good to hit puberty at 32 <laughs> But I think like I think a lot of people think now like mental health is huge and rife at the minute and it's I think it's just so so important that people just unless you've got the chemical imbalance in your brain to try and avoid the the, the kind of the medication side of things because the medication is just going to be a plaster over the mess and something's going to give like I I talk to people on a regular regular basis about the mental health side of stuff and I'm aware I have to stay in my lane on stuff but from talking to like Joe O'Brien who's head first on Instagram he was talking about it and he was like yeah too many people are reaching for that shit mm. um, you've talked about kind of the anxiety around kind of going into a hypoglycemic state mm. how do you work around that and also what is a hypoglycemic state to those who, do, who aren't aware of, of it <laughs> yeah so hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia are low and high blood sugar so your blood sugar will go high if you don't have enough insulin so that's why my blood sugar was so high when i was diagnosed so when it's high basically you know you'll be tired your vision might go blurry you won't really have an appetite you, you just feel like crap basically <clears throat> but you could kind of live your life in a hyperglycemic high blood sugar state for a number of days or weeks depending on how high it is so it's kind of like a, you've a longer time frame of living with a high blood sugar whereas with hypoglycemia which is low blood sugar that is obviously when you've too much insulin or your blood sugar has dropped you have a very 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 short space of time to treat that low blood sugar by eating a sugary drink or glucose tablets to bring yourself back up now when I say a short space of time if my blood sugar was to drop right now I would have 10 15 20 minutes to treat that low or else I will pass out and potentially go into a diabetic coma which obviously no, nobody wants so when I talk about hypo anxiety this is the anxiety of going low so it's almost like it's constantly on your mind because the last thing in the world you want as a diabetic is your blood sugar to drop because it's a horrible feeling you know you could be trapped somewhere where you don't have access to sugar or glucose tablets and you can't bring yourself up so you can easily kind of get lost in your own head with this anxiety of oh shit like 
what if I'm here and my blood sugar drops? Or what if I'm doing a job interview and my blood sugar drops? What if I'm on the train and my blood sugar drops? So it's that constant worry of, shit, what if, what if? And I suppose a lot of, a lot of anxiety in itself, not even particularly talking about hypo anxiety, but a lot of anxiety is the thought or worry of something that hasn't happened yet. You know, you can be you can be anxious about an event or meeting somebody or whatever it is, and you can kind of have that feeling in your stomach, and you you just feel uncomfortable and you feel awful. So it's similar in that way with hypo anxiety. That it's it's the worry of what if, what if my blood sugar goes low. So how I deal with that is, I, I'm somebody who who prides himself in looking after my my diabetes well. I always treat it, as I said, with its deserved severity. And because of that, I manage it day to day. <clears throat> so I don't experience hypoglycemic states as often as somebody else might. But of course I get them. And actually, strangely enough, only on Monday, I had po- probably the worst situation I've ever been in as a diabetic it was awful. So perfectly fitting for this question here because my blood sugar dropped so I was out for a, a long walk with my parents it's kind of like a, a nature walk or whatever it was and when I walk because it's like extended periods of cardio my blood sugar are inclined to drop so I went out I made a split second decision to bring a, a full brand new packet of glucose tablets with, with me in case my blood sugar dropped so and usually I'd have, you know, a half packet or whatever it is that that's been lying in my jeans for a, a day or two. But took the full packet, went out, was walking for about 20 minutes, felt my blood sugar go off. And I was like, hmm, I feel as if my blood sugar aren't, aren't stable right now. So check, checked my, my phone from my continuous glucose monitor to check it my blood sugar was on the way down, but not yet in a hypoglycemic state. So I could still kind of go about my day, but because I was walking, I knew my blood sugar was inclined to drop. Try and picture it as as if it's like an energy bar going down. So my energy is just going down and down and down. So when I eat these glucose tablets, kind of slightly top that energy bar up and I can continue to walk to kind of keep it stable. So I continued to walk, still confident that, that I had, you know, three quarters of a glucose packet. So I was happy enough going ahead. Next thing, my vision starts going blurry. Your body kind of just slows down. It's as if your body's just kind of like, like that, like shutting down. It was on the way down, but not yet very low. So again, more glucose tablets. And I, I still thought I was okay going on because I had half a packet. And a full packet would do me for maybe even a week. So I thought I'm fine here, you know. Continue to go on. Next thing, blood sugar drop again. I'm like, oh shit. What the fuck is going on here? So more glucose tablets. And then I had about three left. And I turned to my dad. Because this was maybe like an hour or two walk. But we were about 30 minutes in. And I said, dad, look, I don't feel comfortable going any further because my blood sugars are being very stubborn right now and they could potentially continue to drop and I don't have anything more to treat it. 
So I knew still I was in this kind of rural area, about 30 minutes away from the car, 30 minutes away from the shop, and I now had to get back to the car without my blood sugar dropping. So my head is thinking like, oh shit, the hypo-anxiety is really kicking in here. I'm thinking, I only have a certain amount of time to get back to the car before my blood sugar drops, before I collapse, maybe go into a coma. So, ate the rest of the glucose tablets and I was thinking, please, please, please hold my blood sugar steady until I get back to the car. So I continued to walk and just by by like a thread I was holding onto my blood sugar, got back to the car, had to bomb it up. Now I didn't drive the car, I had to bomb it up to the shop and get two cartons of apple juice. But see if I had taken the half packet, gone. 100% would have passed out in this rural area. Now that, that story might seem like strange to somebody who, who doesn't have diabetes, but this is, this is just kind of like an everyday danger that, that you kind of need to learn to live with. Now that's been the worst incident of, of that for me, but thank, thankfully I got out of it. Jesus, yes, it's kind of, it's not worth thinking about it if you only brought half a packet. Uh, your poor parents as well. Yeah, I know. But for the whole for the whole time, I I was kind of freaking in my own head. But I didn't want to let on how serious it it was because I didn't really want to worry them too much until I had to, you know. Yeah, that's the kind of the sentence, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, like one of the things you kind of what you're doing at the minute is incredible when we are talking about other people who ha- are talking about and spreading different messages and kind of raising and getting rid of the kind of the stigma that's that's out there attached to various different things and do you think enough is being done to spread the word about diabetes and what would you change about it in a short answer no because diabetes is probably the most widely known condition globally like everybody knows that diabetes exists you're rarely going to say to somebody do you know that diabetes is a disease they're not like they're rarely going to say no everybody knows that it exists but nobody knows anything about it more often than not if you say the word diabetes to somebody the first thing they would think about is you know sugar donuts somebody who's overweight somebody who doesn't look after their health it's these ill-informed stereotypical opinions that people seem to have gotten through I don't know movies and cartoons and stuff and like that's what I thought too before being diagnosed I thought that you know there was just one type of diabetes it's because somebody's overweight it's because somebody doesn't exercise it's because they have a bad diet but obviously over the years I've learned so much about it and I've learned the differences between the types of diabetes and I think I think more needs to be done publicly trying to like differentiate between types of diabetes and on I and I'd I'd love if people understood what type one diabetes was rather than just thinking, Oh, you can't eat sugar or which is completely false or oh you, you don't look diabetic you know diabetics are all shapes and sizes so 
I would love I, I don't necessarily even know how it would happen <laughs> it certainly take a while but I would love if people knew more about it and knew how to differentiate between the two or knew you know the signs and symptoms the causes what it entails for the future and even even just for for people's own sake you know understanding the signs and symptoms could potentially save someone's life because as i said i was less than 48 hours away from a coma so if i hadn't been pushed by my parents to go get my blood blood test done sure i could have been into a coma and you don't know what's going to happen then you know yeah it's uh it's one of those it is there's a lot of myths about it and i know if i didn't have a family friend with it i probably wouldn't have been aware of it i think i think a lot of people do know someone with it but there are the two types there's type one and there's type two and i think people just merge the two of them together yeah of course uh there's, there's a lot like there like there's just a big merge of like the just wide sweeping statement of diabetes there's not the difference between the type 2 and type 1 can you expand between the difference between the two yeah of course so with diabetes there's various types of diabetes but the two main ones are type 1 and type 2 so as I said I'm type 1 and type 2 is probably the one that most people are thinking of when they say you know whatever bad lifestyle but for type 1 and type 2 they're very similar with signs and symptoms you know you you can potentially lose weight, you'll be thirsty, you'll be tired, you won't have much of an appetite, but the onset times are very different. So with type one, it's very rapid. You can be diagnosed in two, three, four weeks. Type two, it's over a much longer period of time. And you don't just go from, you know, quote unquote, normal to type two diabetic. It's kind of like a gradual process over months and years. So you'll, initially start off of becoming insulin resistant then pre-diabetic and then full-blown type 2 diabetic whereas with type 1 like myself it's just like the flick of a switch you get it or you don't there's nothing you can do to bring it on there's nothing you can do to prevent it there's no definitive cause for type 1 diabetes but with type 2 it's related to it can be genetic it can be hereditary it's related to lifestyle no lack of exercise bad diet the treatment and medication are very very different so for myself my pancreas does not produce any insulin at all it's just shut down just it's just in there doing nothing so i have an insulin pen which acts basically as my external pancreas so like i had said earlier i need to counteract the food i eat with an adequate amount of insulin i inject I suppose anywhere between four to ten times a day every day I have to do that whereas with type 2 it depends on the severity of it so it can be reversed to an extent depending on the severity and then you can take an oral medication and if you're like a severe case of type 2 you may require insulin injections but type 1 it's just you get it you don't and yeah I suppose, I suppose that's kind of like the, the main differences between them but with type 1 you know I've heard I've heard it 
a million times before it's like you don't look diabetic did did you eat loads of sweets when you were younger or you're not overweight or this that and the other like I am a diabetic for no particular reason I just it's just like bad luck whereas with type 2 if it's not genetic it's likely caused by lifestyle choices yeah and I uh, yeah that's yeah that is that is it type 2 is kind of like type 1 is kind of treatable with obviously the, the, the incidence stuff like that and type 2 is tweaks will be need to be made with nutritional interventions and obviously talk to a medical health professional mm. uh, with if you if you think you have either or if your symptoms come up and stuff like that and if people want to work with your cell phone in relation to coaching and online coaching where can they find out about your details and where can they apply so you can see me on instagram as at insulone my podcast is the insulone podcast you can get that anywhere really but if you're specifically looking for coaching or even any advice or information you can email me at info at insulone.com or my website at insulone.com so you can see everything about me all my details and stuff there if you've any interest or more uh, more information needed because I know there there's a lot of diabetics out there maybe not listening to the podcast but if you have a friend or a relative that could benefit from any more information definitely get in touch yeah guys I cannot thank Owen enough for coming on and sharing his his story I became aware of Owen probably your video that you did with one of the big chain of gyms there was oh, a yeah. the Survivor Series or something like that when they did, when they they covered a few members and stuff like that, um, and I literally watched the back doing prep and stuff like that. But Owen's story is incredible. Some of the stuff that he puts up on Instagram is hilarious. The zoom ins of his face and the dog and stuff like that are <laughs> like if you're looking for lightheartedness with the mixture of information, go to Owen's page. Um, and Owen, thank you so much. You're doing incredible work, guys. If you've enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag Owen and I up in your story. Um, it's up and leave a review up on iTunes up on Spotify as well if you guys prefer that medium but Owen thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story absolutely Shane thanks a million take it easy thank you